Hey listeners, the Culture Commentary Podcast is intended for mature audiences and may contain language or subject matter that is sensitive to some listeners. Please be advised and thank you for listening. Here we go. What up, what up, y'all? This is your girl, Christian, host of the Culture Commentary Podcast. Thank you for coming to listen to another episode. Um, always appreciate y'all, of course. And, you know, it's real out here. I'll be the first to say. Um, it's been a little minute since I talked to y'all. The last episode that I published was right before all this coronavirus stuff just broke loose and your girl Corona showed up and showed out and shook shit up real fast. <laughs> and we are still dealing with all that has to come with that. But I'm going to talk about Corona a little bit later. Um, first and foremost, I want to talk about some news. And I'm going to try to get through recording this whole episode uh, before 8 p.m. because tonight is the premiere of the Clark Sisters uh, biopic on Lifetime. And as a lifelong lover of gospel music and former choir participant, shout out to the UK Black Voices of the World, BV4L. Um, I plan to be fully planted in front of my TV with some popcorn at eight. So without further ado, here we go. Uh, first in the news this week, your president is still an unqualified ignoramus. And I'm going to leave that where it is. Uh, second, Easter is tomorrow. Like, Lent just passed in the bleak of an eye this year. I don't know if it's because of all the stuff we've been dealing with in the news and socially having to adjust to new ways of life and new norms, people working from home fully that ain't never worked at home before, and just all this stuff we have been trying to work through in the past month or so. But it seems like the Lent season just flew before our very eyes this year. And believe it or not, tomorrow is Easter. But with that, ladies and gentlemen, I first want to thank the Lord uh-huh, that Jesus died for our sins. And even more, because he got up on that third day. Um, if you are of the Christian faith, I encourage you to be prayerfully reflective this weekend and this time to be grateful. Um, but church is still canceled, okay? I need y'all to, to hear me on this. Church services still should not be convening. In the state of Kentucky, Brother Andy Bashir done told y'all sit down now, all right? And uh, yeah, y'all need to not be trying to convene in large numbers because we're trying to get a pandemic under control here. And since the federal government is mostly hands-off in that, once again, we'll get to that later. Y'all need to do your due diligence to be smart, be safe stay at home, quarantine, social distance, and all the other corona-related buzzwords you've been hearing the past month or so. Sit down and shut up, okay? If you can cook, cook your Easter dinner and have it amongst yourself at home. But don't go nowhere tomorrow, please. Please. And Black people, while on the subject of Easter dinner, that is also still canceled tomorrow, okay? Because I know that there's plenty of y'all out there cleaning greens and peeling sweet potatoes and, and boiling eggs for potato salad and all kind of other shenanigans that's going on in prep for Easter dinner tomorrow. And I need y'all to not be trying to convene with the masses. Either drop off plates somewhere, which in my opinion is still kind of risky. Because what if you are just asymptomatic and you got it and you done cooked all this food and gave it out to 30 living people and now you got 30 living people exposed? Sit down. It's not going to kill y'all. 
to be still. It's really not. I promise it's not. And I feel like with all of the social distancing stuff, a lot of people um, have, yes, I get that extroverts struggle with having to sit still and in one place for long periods of time. I can empathize with that. But some of y'all wasn't doing nothing before Corona rolled through. Some of y'all still wouldn't be doing nothing if Corona hadn't rolled through. Many of y'all are really just put out by not having the option to go do what you want to do. You feel constricted by that. I challenge you to think about something else. <laughs> Please don't drive yourself crazy and run yourself amok thinking about not having the option to go somewhere when you probably wouldn't have seized the option anyway. Chill, okay? And uh, back to Easter dinner, y'all. For our family members, and not just my family members, I'm saying this to the, my collective Black family. For those of y'all who are accustomed to full spreads of holiday ham and all the fixings at other people's house on Easter and on other people's dime at Easter and all the other holidays, if we want to be quite honest, this is a perfect time for you individuals to either learn how to cook or be okay with lunch meeting it up for the one time. I promise. I promise you, you will be okay this one Easter, not going over somebody's house, okay? Like God said to be faithful, but God didn't say nothing about being stupid, all right? So let us govern ourselves accordingly. Corona will get you and yours if you put yourself out there to be to get got, okay? So keep your tail at home. Stay home and stay safe. Amen? Amen. Lastly, one of the big pieces of news that happened this week is that Bernie Sanders stepped down and stepped out of the election. He has now suspended his presidential campaign. And the Bernices and the Bernephews have proceeded to lose their damned minds. Okay? I know that y'all have seen it just like I have. We're all on the internets. All right? The Bernices and nephews are upset, honey. And I, I get it. Like, I truly understand that when you put your support and your passion behind someone and it, things don't pan out the way that you wish, it does hurt. It especially hurts when the alternatives are as bleak as those in this election. Trust me, I hear y'all. I do. But I need those of you who are really upset by Bernie not making it to really try to hear me on something. Refusing to vote is not the answer. And I know that there were several people listening to this who just rolled their eyes and or snapped their neck or clicked their teeth or their lips. I know it's annoying to hear that. You don't want to hear no parts of that because the impassioned, committed individual within you is like, damn it, of all them 511,000 Democratic people that said they wanted to be president, I chose Bernie and Bernie stands for me and mine and Bernie stands for human rights and Bernie sees me the way that these other people never tried to see me and I chose him and he chose me and now he's not going to make it and I don't want to vote. I hear you, beloved. I truly do. But still, that's not the answer. It's not. Like, I get that so many people feel like they're sticking it to the man by declaring that they're not going to vote because the candidate they like the best didn't make it all the way. But you're not sticking it to nobody but yourself. And this is why. I need y'all to not be so self-righteous that you become stupid. And I know that that sounds harsh. I'm not calling anybody stupid. I'm saying we are all smart people. We at least all strive to be, Okay. 
as educated individuals and individuals, whether educated or not, who have a right to participate in the political process. And for us Black individuals, those of us whose ancestors fought, died, were maimed, lynched, hanged, drugged by dogs and cars and all kinds of stuff, just because they wanted to vote, regardless of who they wanted to vote for, they were gone. They went through all that to stand in the door. And so that we could, even when they couldn't, we have a responsibility to be politically active. We are sitting in 2020, the centennial of the woman's right to vote in this country. And what people often forget when spewing off that blanket statement is that only white women got the right to vote in 2020. For Native American women, it was much longer. For Asian women, they didn't get the right until 1950. For my fellow Black women out there, hashtag Black Girl Magic, how you doing, sis? I see you. We did not get the right to vote until 1964. It's barely been 50 years. And most of the individuals who were alive to see that legislation be signed still remember and can still tell us about what they went through and what they saw in the effort to get the right to vote. So we need to show up. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but what I'm saying is this. We are all grown people. Things do not always go our way in this life. And in the time of being grazed with participation trophies, uh, everything in life can be a participation trophy situation. You don't always get credit for showing up. The people that you like the best don't always get chosen. But even still, even when it hurts, sometimes we have to make hard decisions that we'd rather not have to make. I want to stress that I am not advocating for any specific political party in this presidential election, nor am I advocating for any specific candidate. Because trust me, I did not want to see Joe Biden as the Democratic candidate either. In my opinion, the last thing America needs is another installment of the old white men make the best president show. We don't need that. Elizabeth, quite honestly, Elizabeth Warren, had she made it, would have been the person to have my vote. But as we know, she dropped off out of the race over a month ago as well. Well, when it comes to Bernie, like I truly, there were things that Bernie talked about that I was behind and that I aligned with him on. But I'm going to take a minute to speak for myself as a voter, myself as a black millennial woman, watching all of this unfold. A year ago, we had more Democratic candidate hopefuls than we could keep track of. And now we were down to our last two and Bernie has now bowed out. Even as somebody who could appreciate Bernie's message, his intentions, and his promises, I personally was too realistic to think that he would actually win the candidacy. Even when there were 12 other people to choose from, I didn't think that Bernie would get the, be the last one standing. I didn't know who would, but I didn't think it would be him, even if he made it to, to the, the almost the finish line. I didn't think he would be the last man standing. And this is why Bernie's own party doesn't stand behind him. 
and many of his stances threaten to take money out of the pockets of many legislators who benefit from their ties to the various industries that will continue to harm us as long as it is profitable. As long as it makes them money, they will continue to be in cahoots with these industries. Those industries will continue to prosper while harming us at the same time. Because truthfully, these folks do not care. And they will sell us out for a dollar. They will sell us out to the highest bidder. So many of the legislators who are involved with the lobbyists and stuff from your healthcare industry, from uh, student loan, because that's an industry in and of itself, with the education system, many of the things that Bernie would have sought to dismantle and that he promised to try to dismantle and or drastically modify, the people he would have had to depend on for support and those endeavors would not have supported him because they have something to lose. And it's not right, but it is what it is. And I'm realistic enough to know that regardless of how I feel about it, that is the playing field that he would have faced. Second, Bernie stands for many things that we young people view as human rights, but that the generations before us and subsequently those who occupy many elected offices that report up to the president and check and balance the actions of the president and vice versa, they do not support those same things in the way that we do. They don't view them the same way that we do. And I truly rule it out to just being a generational thing. When they were brought up, things were this way and this is how it was and this is what you grew up to believe and they still are steadfast in those beliefs and we feel something differently as young people. I'm not saying that their line of thinking should not change for the betterment of their country because it should. But what I am saying is that these are the things Bernie was up against. Regardless of our passion, regardless of people's commitment to his campaign, regardless of people's love and support of Bernie and, and what he was promising, these are the things that Bernie stood stacked against. Okay. Additionally, once again, this is me speaking for myself. I could not back Bernie Sanders because I heard him make far too many promises without clearly articulating plans to go with those promises. Sure, universal health care and student loan forgiveness are desperately needed. We see that more now than ever. But how was he going to implement those things with a Congress that probably still wouldn't back him? And before somebody out there thinks it, I'm not here for the continued abuse of the executive order either because the orange rump does that enough. Because I know there will be somebody who's like, well, Christian, even if he didn't have, you know, all the Congress behind him and they tried to block everything, he could sign executive orders. Signing executive orders out the wazoo is not the answer either because that's yet another abuse of power. And we don't need to meet every challenge with abuse of power and excessive abuses of power at various levels with more abuse of power. That's not the answer at all. So I want to take a moment to speak to you guys out there, my fellow young people, my fellow 20 somethings. I don't know how y'all are feeling after all that I just said, but hear me on this. I for one encourage you to take the time that you need to take to feel all of your feelings. And that is with all things, politics, corona, life in general, whatever it is, feel all of your feelings, acknowledge them, allow yourself time to cope with them and overcome them. But when it comes to Bernie, 
grief the end of his presidential bid however you need to. Honestly and truly, I want you to do that. But please, please, please do not be asinine enough to think that we do not have the power in our hands. Okay? I want to segue for a second on that. So a close friend of mine and I, we were talking the other day. And this friend is someone that I've known to some capacity since I was in elementary slash middle school. And we've still kept in contact over the years. I love the work that she does. She is a social advocate in every sense of the word. She practices what she preaches. And she I look up to her as an inspiration of how to be an actively, politically, civically engaged, per- passionate person. Because the causes that she is passionate about, she doesn't just talk about them. She's actually out here, boots on the ground, hands in the fire, involved with the change that she wants to see. It's on levels that, you know, I try to reach and many of us do to some extent, but she's always fully in it. So much so that she worked on Elizabeth Warren's campaign this year. She relocated her life to do so. And the other day, we were discussing our peers' response to the end of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And in our conversation, she and I said that basically we see a lot of the same thing happening. Um, So many of our peers are making the mistake of thinking that the government has all the power. And in feeling defeated because Bernie decided to step away from from the race, So many people are acting like the government has won. The election has not happened yet, sweetheart. We still have time, baby girl. (laughs) In the words of B. Simone, baby girl, there, there is still time. There is still time to brush yourself off and figure out your next move and realize and remind yourself that the government is not the one with all the power. They only have power when we give it to them. Okay, I'm here to tell y'all and remind you in case you need it, that the United States and all of its flaws, all of its issues, all of its problems, one of the things that it has right still is that our Constitution mandates that the power to choose our government officials, uh, the power to choose who represents us at the governmental level, both federally and on the state and local level, That power lies with us. It lies with you listening to this and me. They cannot obtain our whole seats in office without us saying so. And the only way for us to say so is to vote. Okay? I don't want you to feel like you have to choose between two evils in this presidential election because I know that that's a common thing everybody's talking about. And you're right. We shouldn't be forced to choose between two awful candidates or two candidates that we don't like or two candidates that have long, complex histories of moral issues. I get it. It should not be that way. And I'm telling you that it doesn't have to be that way because in case y'all forgot, There are always more than two candidates on the presidential ballot. What happens is, and the reason why that goes so forgotten amongst so many people, is because our two major political parties in this country, 
the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, they each choose their own candidate to represent their party for the election cycle. And when that gets done, our news media, social media, and everybody else mostly focuses on those two major candidates for those two major political parties. But there are also smaller parties out there who always have people running. There are also people who run on independent tickets. So you will not hear me advocate the cause and and the insinuation that there are only two people for you to pick between because there's not. That's a lie. I encourage you, I implore you, in fact, to learn about all of the candidates who will be on the presidential ballot come November. Learn about them all. Learn about what they stand for, what they'll fight for, what they plan to do if they secure the office. And of all those people who are out there, I encourage you to pick the one that best represents you and your ideals, you and your morals, you and your goals, you and what you hope to see happen in this country. Choose one person and go with them. I don't care who it is, to be honest. I really don't. And I recently had a a Facebook exchange with somebody who was like, I don't think we should be forced to choose between the two evils. And my ancestors, they fought for us to vote, but they didn't fight for us to have to choose between two awful people and this and that. And I don't think that they'll roll in their graves if I don't show up to the ballot, to, to um, to, to the poll location to vote. And to that I said, and I will reiterate here, my ancestors died and shed blood just to walk into a polling location. If they were seen walking toward it, up to it, or inside it, they were risking their lives. And many of them lost their lives or their limbs or something significant that changed their life forever just because they wanted to walk in a building and cast a ballot, okay? And I know that people my age a lot of times don't like to hear this. It feels like you get lectured when people say that. You feel convicted when people say that, but we're so headstrong that we don't want to hear it, so we're just like, yeah, 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 whatever. But I need you to look at your aunties in your life, your uncles, your grandparents, if you have them, your elders and your family that are tangible, the people that you can still see, talk to, and feel. And picture those one generation before them. Because that is how close in proximity we are to those people who who dealt with the ramifications of trying to vote. History is extensive. But that part of our history is not as far back as people like to pretend it is. Black people did not get the right to vote again until 1964. I have aunts and uncles and family members who were born in the 1950s and were small children when that happened. And they are still very much alive and well. They have told me stories of what it was like Remembering as children being in the car with their adult parents who were stopped by police and frisked in the middle of the night for no reason and stood against walls and padded down in their nightgowns as children. (laughs) 
and what the, what it was like to see the KKK marching through the streets and what it was like stuffing envelopes for the NAACP and other local um, black organizations who were very much involved in the civil rights movement and involved in securing the rights to vote for black people. So I need you all who listen to this to remind yourselves of that. And it's not about being stuck in the past. It's not about arguing moot points. It's about reminding you of the legacy that you are a part of by your very existence. And the legacy of power and hard work that we come from. And the legacy of pain that people like us overcame so that we would have rights that we have today. The right to move about. The right to have an opinion on half the shit that we have an opinion on. Because to be quite honest with you, when those people were fighting for the right to vote, who to actually vote for came secondary. That was a secondary thought. They had to fight for their existence to be lawfully admitted into the space where voting occurred. Deciding whether or not you wanted to vote for him or her came way later down the line. Okay, so when it comes down to it, learn about all the candidates that are actually out there and choose one of them. You don't stop looking for a job when you get your first few rejections. So you should not stop voting either just because the guy that you wanted didn't make it. Look at the choices we have left and vote for the person that you think will do the best job with what they're given. And if nothing else, if for no other reason you vote, vote for this reason. To show the people who will later on analyze 2020's history, who will look at the presidential data or the data from the presidential election that happens later this year and show them how many of us in America truly did not support this, the candidacy and the potential second term of Donald Trump as president. Vote so that those numbers are more accurate than, than they will be if thousands of y'all think that your one vote don't matter and you don't show up. Because that's what always happens. People are like, well, I'm just one vote. My vote don't matter. It doesn't matter if I show up. It does matter, sis. It does matter, brother. Because, yeah, you one person. But when thousands of you individual people have that same mindset and don't vote, there are thousands of votes that could have tipped the scales in a different direction or made a difference in how that data lined up. And would accurately portray, okay, well, even if so-and-so does win and the collective didn't want that, here are the thousands upon thousands of people who showed up to show that that's not who they wanted. And it will, will narrow the parameters between who wins and loses to accurately show who the people wanted and who they didn't want. I'm going to take a break here for a second. I will be right back. But y'all let that marinate. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about something else. All right. Psst. Hey, culture fam. You, you, listen right now. Yeah, you. I got some news for you. Quick announcement. All right. So previously, the Culture Queen blog and the Culture Commentary podcast shared an Instagram at the Culture Queen. But... The podcast now has its own Instagram handle, so go follow it for all podcast-related updates, clips, and the like at culturedcom underscore pod. That is cultured, K-U-L-T-U-R-E-D, com, C-O-M-M, 
underscore pod, P-O-D. All right, back to the show. All right, y'all, welcome back to the episode. So I am sure that some of you started playing this episode and are waiting to see, okay, like the title says, Corona No Limes. When are we going to talk about the obvious elephant in the room? And the time has now come. (laughs) So by now, we are all overly familiar with the term coronavirus. We kind of have an idea of what it is. But we are all very familiar with how quickly life has turned upside down as a result of it in the first few months of 2020. I'm your host, Christian, and I join you today reporting live from my home office on day infinity of quarantine. (laughs) I'm playing, but y'all know what I'm, y'all know, that's how the news people be, especially those who have been infected and have to report from home. It's really wild to just see how our day-to-day lives have just so drastically changed in such a short period of time. Before I go any further in this segment, I want each and every one of you listening to know that if you or your family is struggling financially because of this virus, because of being furloughed from work or laid off or straight up losing your job, know that you all are in my heart. Y'all are in my thoughts. You are in my prayers. Everybody who had big plans for 2020 that have been disrupted, whether it's vacation and just personal or professional endeavors, I'm right there with y'all in many ways. So know that I stand with you. I'm praying for each and one of every one of you daily. I know that we will rise above this. For anyone who has lost someone, I am truly sorry for your loss as it relates to this virus or otherwise, because whether you're losing people as a um, result of coronavirus 2019 or not, there have been so many bans on gathering that people's loved ones are passing away by themselves. People are not being able to effectively or correctly say goodbye. It's just, it's a really challenging time. It's very hard. And for my cousins out there who deal with mental illness, whether it's anxiety, depression, or just anything, this situation of having to stay still for so long and navigate all these new, unfamiliar parts of life that we've never had to navigate before is confusing, it's frustrating, it's challenging. And know that I love y'all. Um, I'm praying for your strength. I know that you can overcome this. It's going to be okay. There's nothing that any one of you could have done to prevent any of the challenges that have come your way. So much of this has been out of our hands. Um, I was talking to one of my good friends who lost both of her jobs as a result of what what is going on. And I'm going to tell y'all what I told her. You are amazing. You are powerful. You are independent, you are capable, and there is nothing that you could have done, said, or acted upon differently to get a different result than what you're going through right now. But what I am here to tell you is that if you stay strong as much as possible, find something to stay rooted in, whether it's God or whatever you believe in, you will make it through this and you will rise above this challenge into a place much higher than this valley in which we are all sitting. Um, For those out there whose jobs have not been impacted by this, I want you to take your time to thank your lucky stars and be there for your fellow man however you can. If your neighbor 
knocks on your door and is struggling to eat and you have an excess of food, help them out. You know what I'm saying? If somebody around you is struggling financially because of what all is going on and you have the means to do something to help, even if you can't cover it, offer to do what you can. My hope and my prayer is that in all the challenges we're facing together, Hopefully this reminds us of the good in humanity and it makes us come together in some respect instead of tearing ourselves apart like we so often do. But um, regardless, I want y'all out there to know I love y'all. I'm here for you. If you ever need anybody to talk to, shoot me a message, comment. You know, my inbox is always open to talk. I'm always here trying to give people an encouraging word. But I want you to know that you're not by yourself and I want you to know that you are going to be okay. All right. So what is coronavirus? I think that so many people have heard COVID-19 thrown around in the past, you know, couple months and weeks that we've become familiar with some of the symptoms, but people still don't truly understand what it is. So um, this definition is coming from the CDC.gov. Uh, coronavirus disease 2019, abbreviated COVID 20, or excuse me, abbreviated COVID 19, is a respiratory illness that can spread from person to person. The virus that causes COVID 19 is a novel coronavirus that was first identified during an investigation into an outbreak in Wuhan, China. Um, so, how does the virus spread? The virus that causes COVID-19 probably emerged from an animal, animal source, but it's now spreading from person to person, as we all know. The virus is thought to spread mainly between people who are close in contact with one another within about six feet, through respiratory droplets produced when an infected person coughs or sneezes. It also may be possible that a person can get COVID-19 by touching a surface or an object that the virus that has the virus on it and then touching their own mouth, nose, or possibly their eyes, but this is not thought to be the main way that the virus spreads. So symptoms of COVID-19, and we've all heard these in the news, but um, those symptoms typically include fever, cough, shortness of breath. In many cases, mucus buildup in the lungs, uh, it seems. People tend to, especially those with um, other ailments already and illnesses, they sometimes develop pneumonia-like symptoms or pneumonia along with the coronavirus. So that's what it is. Um, as we know, people who get it, some have been told to quarantine at home and treat themselves by staying hydrated and taking medications and all of that. In the worst cases, people are admitted to the hospital. A lot of people go into the ICU in the worst, worst cases, people end up on ventilators and sometimes, you know, pass away from this virus. So as we know, many states have enacted stay-at-home orders. I live in the state of Kentucky. My governor, Andy Bashir, has been on top of it. I am so grateful, going back to that politically active piece I talked about earlier, that my state got their stuff together and voted out the former governor because if he was still in power, and he was the leader trying to lead the state through this situation, we would be having a totally different conversation. But Governor Andy Bashir has been on top of it. Uh, he is very much trying to get Kentuckians to stay at home, stay safe, and all those things. And I'm hoping that your respective leaders are doing the same and that you are doing your due diligence to be as safe as possible in this time. So that's what coronavirus is. It's what it looks like. 
the timeline of it, it's unfolded really quickly, as we know. I think that I first heard the term coronavirus back in early February or so. As we know, um, I'm, I'm looking, I've looked at the timeline from the World Health Organization, which is abbrevi- abbreviated WHO. And they lay out the full timeline from early January, actually December. It starts like December 31st, uh, all the way up until recently, a couple weeks ago. So it seems that coronavirus started to draw attention back in late 2019 in December when people in Wuhan, China started popping up with many cases of what seemed like pneumonia. Okay. And over time, over the the month of January, it looks like the World Health Organization went in, they did some investigations and stuff, and they figured out that these people had the novel coronavirus. So I remember attending a conference back in February, and that is, it was right after the first couple cases of COVID-19 had popped up in the U.S., and we were surprised that they still had the conference. It was here local, but they did anyway, and a week later, I was sitting at my office at work. I was sitting at my desk, and an email went through that said, With everything going on, if associates feel uh, safest working from home, talk to your leader and that can be arranged. So my employer was kind of putting it in our hands like, okay, Sistrin, if you worried about catching it or you think you might be more at risk, you know, we can make provisions for you to stay at home if that's what's best for you, if you think that's what's best for you. A day later, a confirmed case popped up at our company. And at that point, they were like, all right, everybody stay at home, period. (laughs) And we've been at home since then. I want to say it's been about a month now. If not, it's definitely almost hitting the month mark. Um, But yeah, it's been a wild ride. I remember in the, the week of the conference, between the week of the conference and the week that we were sent home permanently uh, to work, I remember kind of seeing what was coming and as somebody who has had to study sociology to some extent and psychology, um, I'm very familiar with how humans tend to work in stressful situations and also how businesses capitalize off of high pressure and high stress situations. And I remember thinking to myself about something I learned about in college, which is called the scarcity principle. And the scarcity principle is a tactic used a lot of times when companies create sales. They use language to make you think that there is not, there is a limited quantity of something. There is not enough of something to go around. So either this item is going to be available to you for a very limited time, or this item is going to be made available to you as long as the supply lasts. And they generate sales because that makes people think, oh my God, I'm not going to get to get one. Let me run to the store right now and buy one or two or three. And when pandemics and stuff like this happened, same thing when 9-11 happened and uh, just different catastrophic events like that, people freak themselves out thinking that they and their families will not have enough of whatever the item in mind is and they show out. 
which is why you have folks out here fighting over toilet paper and whole fist fighting like they was on World Star over paper that we literally wipe our tails with in flesh. I'm going to leave that alone, though. Um, but basically, coronavirus has unfolded quickly between January and now April 11th. The month of March, from beginning to end, was turned upside down. Like I said, many of us got sent to work from home indefinitely. So many people have lost jobs. So many people's economic situation has changed. It's just really, really been wild. And what's been craziest to me is to watch my country, the United States' very slow response to this virus. Because here, I remember seeing news headlines about a virus in, in China. I remember it being real casual. Oh, yeah, it's spreading around China. You know, they get a little more serious about cracking down and making people stay in place. Okay, it's kind of working its way around to, like, Europe and certain select areas. It's popping up here and there. Next thing you know, oh, the U.S. has a confirmed case or two or three. Okay, there's more. There's more. And then, bam, it just was out of hand. But... The whole time you have the person who was elected president a couple of years ago in front of America saying, you know, things are good. Things are great. Everything's great. Everything's fine. America's great. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody's doing great. The nurses are great. The doctors are great, you know, and great country. You know, I think everybody's doing just a wonderful job. And I'm like, that's really all you got to say, fam. That that's really it. Like we're watching this unfold. What TV are you watching, first of all? What, what, what TV that got you watching in the Oval Office? Are you watching Nickelodeon, fam? Because every reputable source is showing that this is going to get really bad really quickly. But our country has, like it always is in many uh, instances, been very reactive instead of being proactive. Um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the pandemic preparedness team that was assembled on the federal level was dismantled by your boy. Because um, I think from what I've read and, and concluded, I'm sure it was money motivated. Uh, he was like, yeah, we don't need to pay for that. We're going to take that away. It's no need. It's no need for that. It's stupid. Um, so, yeah. And here we are. Because <laughs> when you don't have a team in place to get your country on one accord, uh, you end up having all these individuals who are trying to piece together a solution uh, day by day. And people who really don't know what, how to tackle it and from what angle to tackle the situation. So they're scrambling with scraps. And that's basically what the U.S.'s responses seemed like in addressing coronavirus um, since, that, since it started really taking off here. So in my notes here, I basically say what I just said, but on a more intellectual level. Once again, we've seen and we've our, our country has proven ourselves to be intellectually challenged at the governmental level. Once again, racism has proven its existence in all phases of American life. Um, in Corona's early stages, people were avoiding Corona beer <laughs> and have since targeted Asian-Americans and racially motivated attacks as if it's their fault that the virus spread and that half of y'all are catching it because you're nasty and hard headed and refuse to stay in the damn house. Here in my own city, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, we had an anesthesiologist last weekend who was caught on cell phone video and finally later arrested and charged for physically attacking a group of young girls um, in one of the more affluent 
areas of the city. And as a fellow Black Louisvillian, as a as a Black Louisville native and lifelong resident, and someone who lives not too far from where that instance occurred, it really infuriated me uh, because Louisville is a border. Uh, Louisville is in Kentucky, which is a border state, and <clears throat> historically, as a border state, we were in between the North, which pre Civil War you know, was mostly against slavery and the South, which was very pro-slavery. During the Civil War, excuse me, you know, we were in the middle. So our state was used to transport things. Our state was one that uh, runaway slaves often crossed through to get to the North. The, it's just a lot. This, this, this place, Louisville, Kentucky has a very extensive and complicated racial history um and continues to and watching this doctor in my hometown harass this group of young women which for context there were four white girls i believe and one black girl he and his wife were taking a walk in their neighborhood they saw the group of young girls you know talking kiki and whatever at this amphitheater in the neighborhood and he and his wife took it upon themselves to go mess with them and harass them uh, and they claim it was because the, the girls weren't social distancing, which in, in these days and times when we need to be social distancing, yes, it's annoying when you see groups of people convening when they shouldn't, but there's a way to handle that. And if you feel some type of way, there's a way to communicate that. Going over, being overly forceful, being violent with your words, and then shoving people and then going to the black girl and putting your arms around her neck to low key, high key strangle her. Is not the answer, which is what he did, what he chose to do. <clears throat> Our local news media responded by showing the video, apparently, and blurring out his face, which I published on Instagram Live earlier this week saying, you know, I don't know why we're protecting him. He's not the one deserving of protection. And overall, his actions, the response from our local news media, it really made me upset because... I have observed in my lifetime in Louisville that we like to portray this image that we are so socially advanced in comparison to the rest of the state, which we are in many ways. But we are we champion these progressive social endeavors and fronts. But when it comes to race, we like to pretend that it's not here and that's not true. Racism is very much still ingrained in um, the city of Louisville. It is very much present. I, for one, have dealt with it at various levels throughout my life, whether it was in school, uh, whether it was at the grocery store, which was recently. Y'all heard that on the last episode. And uh, in restaurants and other places. It's here. And so many times when it presents itself, and Louisville citizens who are entitled or who feel the need to pick with black people in Louisville uh, because they got on their nerves or because they view that they're not in their place or whatever the reason is. They're very bold in standing up in their racist actions, words, and ideas. They are not nearly as bold when it comes time to be held accountable for what they've done and said. When you are involved in those encounters and i'm saying this from experience it makes me upset that as black people in louisville if we are targeted 
nobody says anything around us. But if we react, if we stand up for ourselves, and if things escalate in us standing up for ourselves, then we will be the ones characterized as being in the wrong. We will be the ones in the news, identified, not blurred out. Mugshots, whole life history shared, will be held accountable to the fullest extent of what that looks like. But when white people in this city, especially white affluent people like this doctor, go out of their way to do things like what he did to that young lady, they're not held accountable in the same way. I'm very glad to see that he's had charges brought against him. I don't think his arraignment is until May, um, but that's a start. Um, I've seen in recent news, I think it was yesterday, it was announced that he is resigning from his job, which he, good, good. Because if you are a medical provider and this is how you conduct yourself when you are not in your field of practice, when you are not with patients, I can only imagine how you do act and how your biases influence your um, protocol and your method of caring for patients and listening to patients and dealing with them when you are at work. And that is people like him are why we have such crazy disparities in in the health of black people versus white patients when it comes to hospitals and doctor's offices. This is why we have people who say that their experience with the same doctor is so different. Oh, I'm you know, a black woman and my provider, I go to my PCP and I tell him that I don't feel right and my something's wrong with me and he's not listening to me. Or he just shrugs it off and prescribes me a pill and sends me on my merry way. Whereas if a white lady or a white man tells that same doctor that something's wrong, he's going to exercise more care and he's going to take more intent, intentional measures of trying to figure out what is wrong with them and ruling out whatever the hell the case may be. <laughs> and I'm getting off track, but the point is that, you know, these folks like him are people that work for us in various capacities, work with us in various capacities. We need to hold them accountable just as much as people hold us accountable for reacting to their BS. And that's what it is. So how does this relate to COVID-19? It relates to COVID-19 because I knew that it was just a matter of time before people used this pandemic as a guise to hide behind their racism or to let their racism out. This man put his hands on all the girls, but he chose to reserve choking for the black girl of the group. People who have been freaking out over COVID since it started taking off have fought each other over toilet paper, but they've gone out of their way sometimes to be overly nasty and threatening and violent and physical and just mean toward Asian Americans because your president is on TV calling this the Chinese virus and because it originated in China. That's not all Asian people's fault. <laughs> it's really not. It's really nobody's fault unless it was intentionally, you know, started, which I'm not one to spread conspiracy theories, but okay. For those who think about biological warfare, if that is what we see at play here, that is a different story. But as far as we've been told, and as far as we can tell from the evidence we've been given, you can't lash out at whole groups of people because of where this virus came from that's stupid and it's racist. Um, 
And it's sad because when it comes to COVID, white supremacy even played a role in the formal naming of this strain of the coronavirus. The World Health Organization named it COVID-19 because they knew that people would start stigmatizing groups of, of other people if it was associated with a certain geographical area or group of people, which don't get me wrong. I know that they have naming conventions and protocol to follow, period. But the fact that they have to be cognizant of all snap, we can't call new diseases. Um, we can't name them according to where they originated or anything because people will stigmatize whole groups of people. That's just so stupid. It is. And even in them trying to be intentional and doing and keeping that from happening, some people and the American presidents continue to do so any, anyway. And it's just really, really sad overall. So I bet that some of you guys are wondering, okay, Christian, we watch the news just like you do, girl. We own the socials just like you do. We know the coronavirus is out here. We know that it's real. It's getting and done got real. So what's the point of talking about it any further? Overall, I wanted to talk about COVID-19 on this episode because when people look back on these events and later on down the road when history is retold, I want to be one of the sources that breaks down this pandemic in real time, talks about it as it's happening, and gets it right. I want them to know what the experience of the everyday American was like during the 2020 uh, coronavirus pandemic. I'm also talking about this from this perspective of a Black American living through the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic and the fact that we went from cracking jokes about coronavirus, many of us, you know, retweeting and, and sharing jokes about, oh, I'll worry about COVID when it starts affecting Black people. But this week's news is showing us and the data is starting to show us that we are catching the coronavirus and dying from it at alarmingly high rates. And a lot of that has to do with all of the institutionalized racism and um, social disparities that affect our community specifically. We are disproportionately unhealthy. We have lots of underlying conditions uh, health-wise. We work as essential workers. Those positions that are deemed essential, like working class jobs, many of us occupy those. So we are still exposed at high rates around other people. Um, it's just, a, it's a lot that drives that. But when you're already a socially disparaged group, you can only imagine that that disparity is going to translate and correlate into numbers when we face situations like this. So, yeah, I'm talking about this also because to go from attending work conferences to being sent to working at home indefinitely one week later, to go from minding your business to stocking groceries and non-perishables over the early weeks because some of us saw what was coming and knew that panic would drive people to buy up everything and act a fool over stupid things like toilet paper. It's just been, it's been crazy. And as a content creator, as someone who tries to be a, so, a voice on social issues like that we're, that we're facing right now, it was important for me to use my platforms to talk about, bring attention to, and also explain my perspective of watching all of this unfold around me. Speaking for myself, I am a mixture between being introverted and extroverted. Um, since I moved on my own, I have a nice little balance of staying to myself anyway at home and chilling, 
versus and and going out to hang with friends and doing stuff socially. So being at home hasn't really impacted me the way that it has a lot of other people because I'm single. I don't have kids. I don't have anybody else to worry about other than my parents and siblings, but I check on in on them, you know, via the phone. And also, um, praises be to God, I'm still employed. So even though I am physically at home, I am regularly engaged in something other than sitting there passing the time. And I know that that's not the case for a lot of people, but that is what I've been dealing with. And I, my, my job is unique in that our busiest time of the year is actually unfolding right now and will take us through the beginning of summer. So where some people are just lost in the sauce, like, okay, look, I'm tired of looking at these walls. I'm tired of being here. I don't have nothing to do. This needs to change. That hasn't so much been my experience yet. And also I've been taking some, you know, intentional strides to get fresh air and go outside when it's nice. A lot of times I'll use my lunch break to go for a drive around my local area and then I'll come back home and finish up my work day. I don't necessarily make stops and go anywhere unnecessary. I don't congregate with people. I don't go out of my way to be in close proximity with other human beings. It's just the fact that, okay, it's nice outside. I'm going to go drive, give me some different scenery for a few minutes, breathe some different air for a few minutes. And doing that in small doses has helped me as well. And if you're somebody who's been concentrated and forced to stay in the house or feels like you can't do small things like that, as long as your state says it's okay, you can still go outside. Just don't be all up on people. So back to the toilet paper thing. Um, <sighs> fools were really out here fighting over toilet paper. And, you know, that for me was one of the many things that exposed our flaws as Americans through this process. Because folks went to the store, first of all, started hoarding things, just being straight up greedy. But toilet paper, we fail to realize, is a luxury. And I know that many an American that listens to this one day will be like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I like, I gotta have toilet paper. So what do you mean? Toilet paper is a luxury. Do y'all realize how many places in the world people do not use toilet paper to wipe their tails? They use what they got? I mean, Trevor Noah said it best. People are fighting over toilet paper when you use the bathroom in a bathroom that has a bathtub or a shower. So if push came to shove, if you did run out at some point, there are other ways by which you can clean your tail. You can step, you can take a bath right quick. You can use some newspaper. There's lots of stuff. Really? Toilet paper, y'all? Like, people prioritize wiping their tails over feeding themselves and making sure that they had adequate food stored up, which is just crazy to me. Um, COVID has also exposed not only our greed, but our entitlement. The fact that so many people feel entitled enough to just be out here in the world defying orders of staying at home and staying safe, defying social distancing orders, and throwing kickbacks with their friends and having parties and going to the park to act like it's derby, speaking to my Louisville people here, congregating in the park, cruising and all of that, chilling. Like, we're just so entitled that we go around acting like the virus can't get us. (laughs) 
And I'm laughing because it's just the thought of how absurd that sounds. But people really have exposed how entitled they are right now. Um, And it also just shows that we will preserve ourselves as much as we can to the detriment of others not caring how it affects other people. And I'm not saying that as individuals, that's how we all feel, because of course it's not. But as a collective in this country, that is how so many people have started to act as COVID, uh, as this pandemic has has unfolded here in our in our part of the world. And, you know, that has looked many different ways. It's when people were hoarding food and supplies uh, and continuing to go outside and refusing to listen when they're told not to. Um, even in the face of pandemonium, there a massive job loss and growing economic chaos. People are still arrogant enough to claim America's greatness. And I'm just like, girl, these folks do not care about us. These folks, as in some of these government officials, many of them actually, they have and continue to show that they will sell us out for the right price. Your president and federal officials are stopping shipments of medical supplies or, you know, complicating their delivery process to ensure that somebody gets paid for the disbursement of those of those materials. Meanwhile, you have healthcare workers literally putting themselves, their lives and their families on the line because they're out here treating everybody with COVID, everybody who's been exposed. They are daily exposing themselves, risking catching it, many of them operating while having it because they don't have another choice. And our government is complicating them getting the supplies that they need to adequately care for people or protect themselves. And it is really awful, to be honest. Um, those same officials, in my opinion, have placed the responsibility of responding to this pandemic on the individual states so that later on down the line, when this shit show of a mess is just complete or <laughs> everything impales upon itself because it's just a hot mess, they're placing the responsibility off of themselves so that they have other people to blame when whatever happens happens so that when, if things go wrong, if a bunch of people die or just it's the whole situation is mishandled, which it mostly uh, from an overhead perspective, it is being mishandled, but when things pan out, however they do, the federal government and the president specifically are aligning themselves away from it. They're like, oh, well, we told the states to handle it. And that's what it's going to come down to. They're going to place the blame on them. And that's also crazy. Um, the government in this time has also proven what many of us have always known, that for all of these social causes and modifications that many of us have championed for years that we've been begging for, and we've consistently been told that there's no time and specifically there's no money to address those needs. Somehow, some way, they, they found money to address half of what we've been arguing for, which tells us that there was always money to begin with. They just didn't want to spend it. And it's awful. Since COVID has unfolded in America, in the United States, we have seen legislation that grants millions of dollars in relief. We have seen modifications to increase access to certain telehealth services, increase sick pay, reworking some financial assistance programs so that people have um, assistance to now stimulus money, but also food assistance and things like that. There are tons of other things. And I could complain for forever. I truly could. I could go on for days. 
about all of my issues with the government's handling and or mishandling of the COVID pandemic in our lives in general. But I will not do that. And I will end my ranting portion of this episode with this. Listeners, watch your federal and state legislators while this plays out. Pay attention to how they're each handling this situation. Pay attention to how they're framing the situation when they talk to you about it. Pay attention to those who are minimizing what is going on versus those who are being very realistic and, and keeping it all the way 100. Pay attention to what legislation they're voting for and also what they're voting against that could be potentially helpful to people. Um, I want you to be very discerning with the messages, the images, and the propaganda that's being used and will be used as it relates to to politics. Because as I said earlier, and as we fully know, we're in an election year. And people have talked about how somehow it's always convenient that some sort of international illness seems to accompany major election years. And, you know, the proof is in... And the the data that, that proves that and it shows a history of that. In this case, though, I will say this is not like Ebola. This is not like Zika. This is not like the swine flu. This is not like the bird flu and any of them other crazy uh, <laughs> issues that we've seen or heard over our lifetimes. This is something that we are watching take people out. We are watching it affect people. We are watching people contract it. And die from it. And we are seeing that this is extremely serious. So I implore you, implore you all to use the time that you have, even though you know we're at the house a lot more than we would like to be, even though our lives have been turned upside down and heavily inconvenienced by all that is going on. Do not refrain from paying attention to what your elected officials are doing and going back to what I talked about at the very beginning of this episode, let that inform you and take that information with you as you make your decisions about who to vote for. And I'm saying that the way that I'm saying it, because I'm going to claim right here and right now and be hopeful that somebody that listens to this podcast episode today who plan not to vote before. I hope that after everything I've talked about that you decide to approach voting this year differently. I hope that no matter who you vote for, that you at least show up and vote for somebody. I hope that you take the time to be a conscious citizen and learn about all the options that are really out there and not just the two people at the forefront of the conversations around the presidential race. I really, 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 really hope that some of you somewhere, wherever, Take the time to reconsider. And even if you don't, regardless, be informed, pay attention to folks so that when you having your Facebook arguments, your Twitter arguments later, and your arguments on all, all your other social media platforms, at least be informed in them instead of just spreading lies or hearing somebody claim that Dr. Sebi had the answer to all of this. And yeah, we just gonna go with that. No, be informed. Pay attention to what's going on around you become well read we have plenty of time to do that now there's no excuse and arm yourself with information so that you can be an intelligent and informed citizen in every decision that you make going forward regarding who represents you and your understanding of what is unfolding around us and i include myself in that because there's always room to learn more no matter how much you know
overall, y'all, to sum it all up, like I said, I want everybody to be safe. I want y'all to stay home. I want y'all to be careful. I want y'all to be able to love on your families. And even though we are heavily inconvenienced right now, I'm confident that if we do what we're supposed to do, each and every one of us individually, that it will add up to something good for the collective and that it will shorten the amount of time that we have to stay in so that we can get back to our our day-to-day activities as much as possible. Do I believe that the America that we knew before and the the quote-unquote normal that we knew before will go back to being the exact same? Personally, I do not. Um, With all of the money that has been allocated to stimulus checks and not even just to that, to try to curb some of the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm interested to see what the ramifications of that are going to be long-term. I'm interested to see how the housing markets and just the economy as a whole is going to fare um, after all this is said and done. And it's exhausting as a young millennial because I'm 25 years old. And at this point, I have seen more national and international tragedies than I care to count in my lifetime. Um, It's almost as if those of us born in the 90s, we don't know what life was like in America without some sort of either terror attack or war going on or epidemic pandemic. It's been a mess, a mess. And it's exhausting to say the least. But even still, I am... I choose to be optimistic and I choose to be hopeful that if we all do our part, if we all do what we're supposed to do, if we all follow the rules as much as possible, something good will come of that. And I'm also very hopeful, like I said earlier, that when all is said and done, this brings us together as humans and influences us to stop trying to tear ourselves apart. Because a lot of times we get so caught up in our our differences and finding something wrong with them that we forget that even now we're all the same. We all bleed the same color. We all made up of skin and bones at the end of the day, no matter what color the skin is, we were all born. One day we all going to die and no amount of money, education, influence, or anything else changes that. We are so, we are much more the same than we are different. And I hope and pray that while this experience can be traumatic. And while for some people it has and will be devastating, I pray that something good comes of it in the end. And like I said earlier, fam, my thoughts are with each and every one of you. If anybody needs anything, let me know. Um, I'm constantly on Instagram with all of y'all commenting on stuff, sharing all the quarantine bingos that I can find and occupying my time. Like I said, I've joined TikTok like a bunch of people um, I've been around my house saying random phrases from TikTok. If I say, well, shit, one more time, I'll probably smack myself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just find something to do. Um, do not allow yourself to feel bad if you are struggling right now, because it's understandable that you're struggling. And I know that I've kind of semi-wrapped this up a couple times, but one of the last things I do definitely want to say on this episode before I step out of here is... For those who keep perpetuating these posts and this idea that everybody needs to be hella productive during this time, shut up. (laughs) Stop. Because that's not going to be the case for everybody. What I would say is 
if you are in a headspace and if you have the ability and the interest in trying to be productive in this time, go for it. Do what you do. Learn a new skill. Make use of this time however you want to. But I also, more than anyone, want each and every one of you to prioritize being healthy physically, mentally, and spiritually. For those of us who are Christians or follow whatever faith you follow, maybe this is your time to to reconnect with that. Maybe some of you have had a revelation that you need to sit and get your house in order because we don't know what's coming next or whatnot. Maybe some of you have decided, okay, I'm going to use this time to apply for my next endeavor, whether that be a business, whether that be school, whether that be content creation or whatever the case is. Do make use of this time however you choose and however is the most healthy for you. And do not allow yourself to feel like you're less than because you're not um utilizing this time however other people think that you should. Do you? And I say that in all things, and y'all know that about me by now. Do what works for you, do what's best for you and yours, and paramount to all. Be smart and be safe. And that's all I got for you for episode eight of Culture Commentary. Thank you again for joining me. Um, like I said, follow me on the new Instagram at culturedcompod. That's com with two M's, cultured with the K, and an underscore between the first part and pod. <laughs> Anyways, follow me on there. Uh, let me know how y'all are doing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate this episode and the podcast as a whole, and leave me a comment to tell me what you think. I love y'all. Peace and love. Bye. Hey there, Culture Fam. If you love what you heard today, make sure that you rate, comment, and subscribe to the show. Um, follow me on Instagram at the Cultured Queen, all one word, T-H-E-K-U-L-T-U-R-E-D-Q-U-E-E-N. That's the Cultured Queen. Head over to theculturequeen.com to check out previous blog posts and subscribe there. And for any other suggestions, comments, or inquiries, hit me up at theculturequeen at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Peace, blessings, and love to you all. Thanks.